Let's go ahead and stand and pray. Oh, Heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, right to every present to fill us all things, treasure your blessings, and give of life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we are this class. I handed out a handout. This is the third class in the syllabus, the session three, which means that we are uh, today talking about prayer, the daily cycles of prayer, the church year, uh, a suggested prayer rule, uh, also in the online version at least, because you can't really touch a physical hyperlink here, uh, a link to St. Theophon the Recluse's homilies on prayer. Uh, is the handout making it? Do I need to make more? Yes. There should be three pages. Do I need to print off more? Do you want me to? All right. Uh, Deacon Raphael wanted to at least uh, introduce himself. Uh, do, you, do you want to say something? This is Deacon Raphael. <laughs> we haven't hey. met officially. I'm sorry. Please introduce yourself to me officially. We're unofficially. I don't know. Uh, but if Father seems busy, I'm also available for questions. So. I see I'll leave him to, to, you know, <laughs> only seen to uh, <laughs> agree with that or not. But if you have questions, I'm happy to talk with you about them. So if we haven't met. Please, please come up and introduce yourself. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's all. Did you Thank you, Father. No, I've got. I'm doing chores. I don't know where I would put them. Do uh, you want a chair? No, I don't want a chair. Yes. Thank you very much. Does everybody have the handout? Do we need a handout? Can one of the three of you, if you have one of those handouts, can you hand it to him? Or do you just have one? You have one? You guys know that stuff, so if you could hand it to the... No, he needs one. Are you, do you guys have one? I will print it out. So... Let's start off with questions while I print this off. Does anyone have any questions from the reading? Or in general, of your experiences? Since we've done, this is the third class, some of you have been around for a few months now, that sometimes takes the amount of time it takes for you to start, like, wondering or seeing patterns or wondering about patterns or just any kind of questions. I have a few about, can you explain in further detail about the seven sacraments? What would you like to know about the seven sacraments? Well, I, no, I know baptism, but the rest of them, I feel, I'm not really much heard about what any of them really are. All right. Can somebody tell me what the seven sacraments are and then what, why there might even be a question mark next to seven? Oh, that's a reading question. Yes. Confirmation. Confirmation, which we would call chrismation. Yeah, which is right after baptism, it's kind of together with baptism. Yes. So, confirmation, if you come from a Roman Catholic background, what you've understood as confirmation is uh, 
basically where the bishop would come and seal with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a squirrel's over there. Uh, in the Orthodox Church, the sacrament of baptism and chrismation have never been separated from each other. They're always done together. So a baptismal service will always uh, have the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is chrismation. Uh, baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, uh, being buried in Christ, being uh, raised up with Christ, and then the chrismation is a sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given through baptism. Uh, so this is why, from the very beginning, uh, Orthodox infants all receive Holy Communion, which is the next sacrament, right? The Eucharist, uh, where we receive the body and blood of our Lord. Uh, so children receive... Uh, as soon as they're baptized and chrismated, they are <coughs> welcome to the table to receive. Uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, children do not receive Holy Communion because they have not been confirmed yet. Uh, they have, this is where in the Protestant Church, you've ever wondered about this like age of reason? Have you ever heard of these? Age of kind accountability. Of, or age of accountability. This is kind of going back to trying to reason through the Latins with confirmation why they wait. Uh, I've heard various things as to why they wait. One of them is if the bishop is the only one who imposes or puts on the chrismation, the bishop only came around every so often. And if we're talking about the 14th century and the, the hills, the mountains of Italy, the bishop's not coming that often. So that means every few years he comes. And so you'll have a crop of like basically adolescent kids who are then also catechized at that time. They're, they're given catechism and then they are confirmed. So that is kind of where this kind of tradition in the, the Western church comes from. Yes? My Roman school, they did, we did, like, you had your baptism, but then they did Holy Communion as its own thing, and then in eighth grade, you would do confirmation. So, I don't understand the Roman church. I'm just going to say that. There are things that do not make logical sense from Orthodox, and you have many Roman liturgical scholars who say it doesn't make sense why we do some of the things that we do. We should do what the Orthodox do. And I'm like, well, there's a reason why I'm Orthodox, because <laughs> I don't understand why it would, it just doesn't make logical sense. Uh, we all live in glass houses. We all have struggles and challenges. Uh, we don't have that particular challenge that doesn't make logical sense. Um, all right, what, what other things? So baptism, chrismation, Eucharist. Anyone have questions about the Eucharist or just from that presentation? I mean, there's lots of questions, but yes. So does everybody fast the night before to get the Eucharist? Yes, they are expected to. Yes. if you, uh, My suggestion as a catechumen, uh, especially if you're used to Sunday mornings, you hop up, get your bacon and eggs and your toast or your oatmeal, whatever. We, fat, we do a complete fast. Uh, maybe a sip of water if you're parched. If you really have to take meds, then you may talk with your priest and get a dispensation for like a cup of tea and like a piece of toast. That uh, doesn't mean bacon and eggs. I don't know why I'm resorting to bacon and eggs. That's kind of my favorite. <laughs> breakfast. That's the full one. The, the American. The full American breakfast. Yeah. Uh, is that like Denny's? I don't know. Waffle House. It's getting there. Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> I make better food at home. So. Uh, so, yes. So what I'm saying as catechumen is to start getting used to that because uh, you <laughs> you don't want to get there and it gets really challenging. It takes time. Or maybe if you're used to eating a big old breakfast that you didn't cut down and maybe it's just coffee and eventually you cut out coffee and you may be wondering, how in the world do I do this? You can do it. Mm -hmm. It's okay. 
When does that fast expect to start? <coughs> Midnight. Okay. I would generally say on sa- on Saturday evenings that you start in general like Preparing. don't have huge parties on Saturday nights as a rule of thumb, right? Like don't stay up till two in the morning. You shouldn't be doing this stuff anyways. You guys are adults. Like but you may be surprised that I have to tell adults these kind of things. Uh, you know, Saturday night, as we were talking last time, is a time of preparation, right? So that is why a, a typical cycle will be coming to service on Saturday night. If you're not coming to service on Saturday night, you're definitely doing your prayers and at least preparing for Holy Communion the next day. All right, what are some other? We have, what, three? Actually, marriage is a sacrament, isn't marriage it? Marriage is a sacrament, yes. Funeral. What? Funeral. Funeral? Is that on the list? It is on the list, but it says that it's not necessarily <coughs> Right, so that question about the and seven. Holy unction also. Yes, holy unction is one. So a little bit difference between holy unction. Very often, if you are coming from a Roman Catholic background, you think holy unction as like last rites. Like you're getting basically uh, anointed and then you die. The Orthodox Church doesn't have the same, uh, we might anoint folks as they're preparing for death, but we don't have the same idea of like unction is for those who are dying as much as unction is for those who are suffering and who are sick. And it's done typically once a year. And if somebody is uh, sick, uh, then they typically, for that sickness, they have great unction served for them once in that, like if they have cancer and they're on their, the, on their way to dying, then you would do... If we're doing unction in the like way that it's supposed to be in the books, that means we have seven priests, and it's like a three-hour service. It is intense. We're in uh, Knoxville area. There's maybe seven priests in three hours of here, and it would be really hard to get everybody. To, so we have a kind of edited form that we do here during Great Lent. We do it. We've been starting to do it outside of Holy Week because it's not. There's a lot of Orthodox churches that do it during Holy Week, but that's not when it's actually assigned. You can do it any time of the year, so we've been doing it during Lent. That is a sacrament, so there's something as a catechumen uh, you don't receive because you have to prepare yourself with confession. It's a sacrament. So you're encountering Christ. And all of these, this is Christ baptizing. This is Christ anointing you with the Spirit. This is Christ who is marrying you. In our marriage rite, uh, there is no exchange of vows. You don't get to write something up. You, in, you really actually in the service outside of like one thing you don't say anything kind of like this morning when I made the catechumens who are catechumens I said do you desire you say I so desire the question in our book uh, the Russian service books is basically asking the bride were you forced to come here because <laughs> we're talking about like the 16th century right like it's still in the books of like you're not being forced into this marriage you actually of your own free will want to be here and then after that, it's basically the prayers happening and Christ is the one uniting you in marriage. So it's a very different idea, I think, than like Western uh, Latin. When I say Western, I'm just trying to figure out some way of a broad scope of Protestants and Catholics, okay? Because yeah. Orthodox are all through the West, right? So uh, through all of the sacraments, and this is why Father Thomas Hopko in general, like, we can say seven sacraments, but that's really us kind of mimicking the Roman Catholics. We don't have the same thing about seven sacraments because Christ is present in all sorts of different sacramental ways, but there are particular ways in which he's, I'll say, particularly present. Like the Eucharist is the summit of 
all of the sacraments because we are receiving uh, the body and blood of Christ into us. We're eating him. We're partaking of him. Uh, marriage, we are partaking in Christ, but we're not eating Christ, right? Like, uh, marriage is, a, why, why would someone think marriage is a sacrament? The mystical union of Christ and the church and the man of, you know. So Paul, right? Ephesians, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. What is one of the best ways to be sanctified but have somebody really close to you helping you or maybe tripping you up <laughs> or depending on how you're going to take it, uh, showing you who you really are outside of marriage and then the joint venture of raising children, right? So marriage is considered a sacrament of the church. So we've talked about baptism, chrismation, uh, the Eucharist, marriage. I'm not counting correctly. Confession. Somebody said, I think said penance as well, right? Con confession uh, or uh, reconciliation with the church. We have a very individualized sense of sin. Uh, the church has always had a much uh, more expansive understanding of sin. Your sin, even if you think that you've done it privately on your own, affects everyone else around you uh, on some practical ways. Like, there's many ways in which sin, things that people don't even know, uh, affect you. But we're not only just talking about on that kind of, like, interactions with other people and how it might sour you and all that, but just there is the fact that all of us are basically uh, being affected I hate to use the word mystical because that's one of those words that everybody abuses. But like, there's a reality around sin. If you read the Old Testament, there is some serious effects of what sin means, right? Like the earth opening up and taking people in because of sin, right? Like there is, um, therefore confession is something that we do in the presence of the priest. We'll talk about this particularities because almost everybody, once they start getting close to when they're going to make their life confession starts getting a little antsy uh, because it's getting real and you're going to start naming things in front of me and that is always awkward <laughs> I have to go to confession it is almost, by awkward I just mean it's like it can be anxiety producing right I want this person to think well of me I don't want it like but that is actually the path to healing is to be able to expose yourself and be vulnerable and to speak in front of God, but also of accountability of like, you need to hear someone speaking. This is why it's sacramental. The Christ speaking through the church, through the priest in saying absolute, giving you absolution uh, of counseling you, of giving you advice that you're not just a lone ranger doing the Christian life on your own. There's a popular saying, I, th I think it's attributed to like as a Russian saying of like, you can't, you, the only thing you can do alone is be damned, basically. Right? Like, the, we have to be saved together, and there's a corporate aspect. That's why uh, confession is also kind of a reconciliation with the church. Uh, I'm sure that you've experienced this. When you get lost in sin or are being despondent about sin, you don't really want to go to church. You don't really want to pray. You don't really want to be around other people that might remind you of those things. Or you can get into that mode. And so there's something about confession that, like, cuts right through that and says, no come back right hearing what God has to say and that you're forgiven and then you are received back into the church it's also why there's a there is a connection between confession and receive a holy, holy communion this is why you'll hear me when I do the announcements saying like if you haven't had a recent confession then you should abstain from receiving communion because you haven't prepared yourself 
for reception and communion. We'll talk about some of these things in more detail. I'm trying to stay 30,000 feet and still with a whole class of notes that I haven't got to yet. Yes? Linda? Okay. I think I'm missing. There's one other sacrament out of the seven. Holy orders. Being, <laughs> being ordained. <laughs> so, the there are minor orders. With reader Gregory is of the minor orders. There's reader. There's subdeacon, and then you have the major orders. And the major orders are deacon, priest, and bishop. Those are the apostolic orders uh, that are given particular responsibilities. Uh, deacons. The name deacon in Greek means service. Deacons. Uh, historically, well, you can see he serves liturgically, but they were in charge of things. Where, where does deacon, the office of deacons come from? Does anyone remember from the book of Acts? There is a fight between the Jewish and Greek uh, widows. Uh, Paul has a lot of issues with older folks squabbling with each other if you read a lot of pastoral epistles. Uh, different social reality than we have, but uh, the, the apostles are saying we need to be able to dedicate ourselves to teaching and preaching, so we need deacons to help like order things. So deacons historically have been very uh, often they have been in charge, like St. Lawrence of Rome was in charge of um, the gifts, the mercy, the almsgiving and, and helping folks and organizing like orphanages or homes, etc. Uh, hospitals were actually started by uh, the tradition of hospitals as we know it comes from the Christians. St. Basil is the one who really started what we would look back and see as like the, the forerunners of hospitals. Because before it was maybe some temples, Greco-Roman temples, but there was not a common sense that like health of other people is for the common good. You're basically on your own or your family, but it was not a sense of like the community's responsibility. Uh, Christianity really transformed the, the ancient world. Uh, things like human rights that we kind of consider to be like normative things, that is really goes back to being Christian. Uh, if you're reading Aristotle, you're reading like the ancient Romans, they don't have an understanding of like every person has inalienable rights or like <laughs> is made in the image of God to use Christian understanding. Like, no, you're expendable. You're a part of the machine. Uh, and I, and so anyways, I'm not going to go off on that, but that's a whole thing. Christianity transformed everything. Uh, any other questions about the sacraments? If you're coming from a low church Protestant background, you don't talk about sacraments. You might talk about ordinances <clears throat> if you're Baptist, and depending on what kind of Baptist you are, uh, which basically means Lord's Supper and <clears throat> baptism. Right? Yeah, Orthodoxy has a much as <clears throat> higher sense of what is the what is the biggest thing that I think is uh, in the background of all of that is Orthodoxy has a much stronger sense of what the church is versus Baptist is kind of like a conglomeration of individuals who agree on a few things. And the, the Orthodox Church is, you know, we're the body of Christ. We have, like, our middle management, <laughs> which is kind of like the priest and then the bishop who's kind of like the CEO. I hate to use these things because it's not really accurate. Or, like, maybe a family where you have, like, grandpa, dad, uh, etc. These are loose analogies here. So... Any questions about the reading for this week? Because the reading for this week was going over some of the service uh, services, but also uh, the church here. And I realized I looked at it, the church here is pretty long, 
and I suggest looking at the church here as we start going through the church here instead of trying to sit down because if how many of this is like your first time to an Orthodox church here? Most of you, this is the first time to an Orthodox church here, right? So if I say something like Palm Sunday, unless you have a Roman Catholic background, you're like, that's when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, right? That's the beginning of Holy Week for us, right? Most low church Protestants don't have any of this kind of mindset. And if you're worried about like, I don't know all these things, you will live them. You will experience them, especially if you are coming regularly to the services. So uh, it might take a while for you to like start understanding and like having that where you're looking forward to Lent uh, or not looking forward to Lent or looking forward to Pascha or thinking about Pentecost and like knowing that Theophany happens the you know January sixth. Like just these things will just start becoming normative things for you and living out uh, the church year. One of the things that uh, the Orthodox Church does that might be different uh, for a lot of our backgrounds is uh, we have a lot of stuff. Does anyone experience that feeling like there's a lot of stuff going on? By stuff, I don't mean like physical things in the church, but like there's just a lot of things going on, like wheels within wheels within wheels, right? Uh, the Orthodox Church uh, very much seeks to um, infuse, I don't want to say govern because that's a little bit too strong, but like uh, transfigure our life. So we have, if you were in a monastery, you would have services all day long. They take breaks because they have to do things, right? They have to maintain things, build things, etc. Uh, but we have, and the Orthodox Church uh, offers for our whole life to be sanctified. So that means we have a cycle of services, we have cycles of prayers, we have then cycles of every day we have commemorations. So today is the Higher Marcher Blaze. Uh, and if you wanted to read about his life, you would go to a book called the Synoxarian, and there's various Synoxarians out there, and you can read the life of St. Blaise. Uh, he is known in the West for um, throat issues because he saved a boy choking on a bone. So they're in the West, they even do like this special uh, blessing, even though he's a bishop from Armenia, because uh, he's from Sebast. But uh, this week, every day, and every church has local saints. Uh, so the church in uh, Albania is not going to commemorate St. Herman of Alaska, right? Uh, the church, uh, with our services, we go back to looking at a day. Uh, can anyone... Uh, describe like what a day of services would be like if you're starting in the morning. Matins? Matins is the first, that is the morning service. Uh, then you would have the hours of the church, which is first, third, sixth, ninth. Uh, then you can have a service called Tipica. Uh, these are the canonical hours. Have you ever wondered, like, if you're reading scripture in the Psalms or even the book of Acts? where it says it was the third hour and the apostles went up to the temple. I can't remember if it's third hour or sixth hour off the top of my head. When our Lord dies, right, it was this hour. This is a way of keeping time. Every three hours, uh, you would punctuate your time with prayer. Uh, you can get a book. It's called the Orlogian, which just means the book of hours. Uh, you may have heard of this in the West because they had the same book of hours uh, because this is coming from... Judaism, right? The first hour, 6 a.m., third hour, 9, 12, 3, 
and then you start moving into the other services. Uh, I really like the hours. Uh, when you are coming into church before the Divine Liturgy starts, we are reading the third and sixth hour. Because typically in the Russian church, by, when I say Russian church, we're not a part of the Church of Russia, but our background comes from Russia for historical reasons. Uh, so the way that we do things liturgically is more Russian style. Uh, that mean, Last night we would have done Vespers and Matins together and it would have been called Vigil. We only do Great Vespers here because Vigil is about two hours. Was anyone able to come for Vigil for a meeting of our Lord in the temple? I think Aaron, Aaron, I think you were here. Uh, I, I really suggest, I know the next vigil that we're going to have is going to be for um, the Annunciation on March 24th, which is also the Sunday of Orthodoxy. That whole weekend is going to be like services like constantly. So that might be a hard service to get to. If there's a way to get to it, come to a vigil so that you can experience vigil. A lot of these things, you won't know what they are until you actually come and start experiencing them. Um, we have after uh, the supper meal, uh, supper service is Compline, and then Vespers is what we have as an evening service. These all have their own order and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to go into details. Does anyone have any questions about those services? It's all going to sound like Klingon until you're actually starting to live the life and like coming to them. And then eventually you'll just kind of know the services. You'll know the particular hymns that are the highlights of them, like Vespers is Lord I have called, uh, a gladsome light, uh, the St. Simeon's prayer uh, or song that we sing that comes from the meeting of our Lord at the temple. Questions, yes? On the uh, calendar on the website, does yep. it say, have like, you know, the beginning of Holy Week or the beginning of Lent? I have not. I have not figured out yet what exactly we're doing for whole, uh, Lent. By that, I don't mean I'm making stuff up. I just don't know <laughs> how much we're going to do and when exactly we're going to do it. Throughout Lent, uh, we have we, there's a whole special set of services. When we get closer to Lent, I'm going to do a kind of like talk about Lent. I, the the reading should cover some of the basics, but again, it's all going to be Klingon or you know some. Farsi to you or something, right? Until you're actually experiencing pre-sanctified liturgy. You're trying to get your head around how could you pre-sanctify something, right? We'll talk about it. So, Father, can yeah. um, j just to emphasize the importance of coming to vigil, if you can all make and all make it, because during during the canons, we're we're chanting the theology of the church. You want to know what the church believes? We chant it, you know, as, as we as we pray, so we believe, and um, and if it's difficult to listen to, difficult to hear. Come over and stand next to one of us, or the choir stand, and you can you can read along with us. Um, it, it, it's it's very rich, and it's one of the best ways to learn what the what our faith is. Amen. So, uh, any other questions about the services? All right, prayer. I'm sure some of you uh, have some experience with prayer, and the Orthodox Church has uh, many resources and uh, a depth to it that will help aid in your prayer life. Uh, St. Theophon the Recluse says, All of the virtues and powers of God are attained primarily by prayer. Without prayer, there is no spiritual life. If you are not successful in prayer, you will not be successful in anything, for prayer is the root of everything. Uh, the importance of the services, why we do, you might like, there's so much, 
so, so many services. There's so many things going on. Uh, it is all an opportunity to grow in prayer. Uh, this is, I don't know about you guys, when I was growing up, uh, prayer was something that I could like maybe shoot up an arrow prayer, as like St. John Cashin would say. But beyond that, it was very hard for me to sustain much of a prayer life. Does anyone else understand? Like, you have prayer, but like you're like, I don't know what to do. How do I do this? You might have like, oh, you pray, pray scriptures. Might somebody like, okay, I kind of get that. Part of what uh, the prayers of the church, and so this is with a handout. Uh, this is an edited form of the morning and evening prayers. If you already have a prayer book and you're already starting to use it, uh, good for you. Keep using it. Uh, this is a suggested prayer rule for catechumens. Uh, even in the prayer book, uh, the morning and evening prayers, especially if you have kids, can be start to feel onerous, especially if you're not used to regulated prayers as opposed to just kind of open-ended two-minute prayers, okay? Or if you're really loquacious, two and a half minutes, okay? Uh, unless you were gifted. That was most of my experience with folks who are especially coming from a Protestant background. There's, you need more structure. And, and the, what the prayers of the church give us is it helps form us in prayer and teach us how to pray. Uh, what I this suggested prayer rule is basically the morning and evening prayers edited down to make it more accessible when you are just getting into the routine. Uh, if you think you can do the full thing, go for it and then come and talk to me and then tell me how that's going. Uh, because often I find people stop praying because they feel overwhelmed and they're like, I don't have 15 minutes to do my morning prayers. Uh, and it takes them years to actually really get acclimated to that. And if you're thinking like, no, 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 I'm a Marine. I can really do this. Uh, no, you're not. You might be able to do it for two days. And then you don't pray for a month in any sustained real manner, right? Uh, I think this is also the difference. Like prayer, like what Orthodoxy is trying to inculcate is that you are praying regularly. Now, does that mean that you are spending four hours a day in your prayer corner <clears throat> doing prostrations, uh, etc.? I mean, maybe you will one day will get to that place uh, when you're retired and your kids are out of the house and uh, you've just loved prayer. Uh, but more often than not, you're probably you're going to be spending and doing well to do like five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening on a regular cycle. That is much better. This is something St. Theophon talked about. It's much better for you to do short prayers regularly than... <laughs> to do a four hour vigil in, you know, in your bedroom, doing the whole Psalter once every four years, right? Like it is much better for you to have ingrained in with you a tradition. So this is my suggested morning and evening prayers. Uh, it's kind of the high points of morning and evening prayers. Um, the best advice is uh, make sure you make the time for it. Give yourself the space. Uh, what we do with our kids, have I talked about what I do with my kids? I think I did the brotherhood meeting. Uh, if you have kids, uh, we just sing basically three songs, and then we sing them at night. Because with the kids, it's just really hard to get them to stand there and to, you know, do the prayers. How, does anyone have any specific questions about how to do the prayers? Yes? If you're praying by yourself, like not with your kids, are you supposed to Say this to yourself. You supposed to say it aloud. Does it matter? I'm going to do the suge what I suggest. <clears throat> you may just kind of do it for sure, you. Sure. 
this takes time. This is also just kind of getting used to the way that the church normally does it. Does it? You can just say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Or you can do it, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, O heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. Glory to everyone present and fills all things. And eventually, you start memorizing. Like I can do the Chisagian prayers in like in my sleep. That would be nice if I actually did it in my sleep. But uh, <laughs> you know, you are starting memorizing things to be able to. Uh, if it takes a while, you're feeling awkward. Like, if you're like, I can't do it up here because I feel like a lot of people do everything up here. Then do it down here. It's fine. It doesn't matter. When the Russian church, most of the deacons sound like this. Well, actually, Deacon Raphael has like one of the higher voices that I know. So, I mean, it is fine. Having risen from sleep, like we fall down before the Blessed One and sing to the Almighty One, the Angelic Hymn. Holy, holy, holy art thou, O God, through the Theotokos have mercy on us. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, go on YouTube put in Orthodox morning prayers, especially the Hermitage of the Holy Cross, they have all of this, and they have somebody uh, doing it. Go on to the uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, put in Orthodox uh, morning prayers, you'll find the Hermitage of the Holy Cross, and they, they might be calling it just uh, Monastery of the Holy Cross, uh, and they'll read it for you. Now, if you're driving, you gotta get up and get out the door, that's great, because I find like something journey in the background, I'm like in and out, I'm not paying attention that much. But it's better for you to do that than to do nothing at all, right? And you can kind of learn how to do it. There's something about using, like, chant, like reading it in that kind of intonation that helps get you outside of yourself. That is something that you can hear instead of just like, Our Father, who art in heaven, right? Like, all of my, I'm putting all the meaning that I want into that thing, and I'm emphasizing the thing that I want. That's why the read, like when he when he's reading the epistle, the reader does not go, you know. And then Paul said, da 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 da. It's like and Paul said da da da. Like there's this kind of like it is not about my personality being put into the text. It's the text being. You need to like enunciate and you need to like emphasize things, but it's not. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like I, I go to other. I've been to other services where I hear something and I, I'm just always thrown off when the gospel suddenly is just being read, like it's grandpa reading the the Bible. That's beautiful, but in church it just sounds really weird to me. Probably because I'm Orthodox now and I'm just not used to that anymore. Um, when we get to Lent, I can do a Lenten version of this because in Lent we add some prayers and prostrations uh, to refer back to, was it the second week or the first week when I was showing how to do prostrations? Uh, that means all the way to the ground prostrations. Uh, unless you've got like a knee issue or a hip issue or something like that, uh, if you have that, then, you know, like a deep bow from your waist is fine. Uh, orthodoxy is not about trying to like, kill yourself or like re-injuring yourself because you want to be pious, you know. Uh, because at the end of the day, why would we do prostrations? Because we need a workout? Because, because we need our heart? As you'll notice, like the embodied worship of orthodoxy is to encourage and bait our heart to be transformed. I know a couple who, uh, if they fight and when they ask for forgiveness, they actually do a full prostration before the spouse. I mean, that is a way of asking for forgiveness <laughs> and like really being like, I'm eating crow, <laughs> like I'm wrong, right? So this is the same for us, like before God, we need like physically prostrating ourselves before him uh, is good for us and our humility. Yes. Do you need to stand? You don't have to. It is good for attention, but uh, you can sit. Then you lay in bed. 
I would highly suggest not laying in bed just for the sake of attention. I don't know about you, I'd fall asleep. Okay. You know, I so when, I, when I'm talking about prayer, there's all sorts of different ways of praying. Yeah. Like, if you're laying in bed, do the Jesus prayer. Or, you know, I, I'm not like, when you're driving, do the Jesus prayer. Uh, this is, I mean, having, uh, is anyone familiar with uh, the prayer rope or chotki? Komboskini. Uh, this, uh, these are the different words for it. This is to aid, so you have a physical thing that is helping you. Because I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's very easy to go wee, <laughs> wee, <laughs> right? You're in church. I'm staying at the altar, and I go wee, <laughs> wee, right? Uh, and then Saint Theophon, okay, you go wee, and then you go right back to it, right? Go back to the words. Sit in the words. Pay attention to what is being sung. Pay attention to what is being said or, or chanted. Uh, and if you need to, even in the service, not in this kind of like, I'm at the service and now I'm going to do my Jesus prayer for two hours, but like to get your mind settled. Because the whole idea, a lot of our life is lived up here and it's not lived from here. And the whole point of the Orthodox life is for us to calm down our mind and have it uh, a living from our heart. So that we are gentle and kind and humble and obedient and cheerful and all of these things. Because usually if we're up here, do you want, I think you guys know phenomenologically what I'm talking about. You experience this. Where when you are frazzled or when you are stressed or when you're angry, you live somewhere up here. You don't live from here. And when you're vulnerable, you feel it. When you really sob cry, where do you sob cry from? Right? It like comes out of the, your depths, right? It does not come from, you're not crying. Like, so the prayer life and doing regular prayer is for us, St. Theophon, many of the, uh, the saints talk about the whole point is not that we're like, I'm doing my prayer roll. You know, robot time. I'm, you know, I don't know how many times I've gone through my prayer roll and I'm kind of like, did I just pray? <laughs> I said a bunch of words. But I didn't actually pray. Uh, St. Theophon will talk about, you know, St. Seraphim Asrava will also talk about this. If, like, you get to that place in prayer and you're actually in the presence of God, it's okay to just kind of exist in the presence of God. That's not like, I have to continue my prayer rule or, you know, the, there is, the, these are all prayer, fasting, almsgiving, coming to church, confession. These are all means of union with Christ. If they just become things that you're doing has a really weird thing to get <laughs> I mean orthodoxy can become something that actually makes you into a saint or like a normal human being or it can make you into a real a weirdo right like you're obsessed with all of these things I've encountered this a lot or I'm just like no that's not the point like you're missing the point uh, the point of this is encounter with Christ it is not that you have memorized like you know all the canons uh, to the mother of God and now you can sing them. That's great. I hope that like helps you in the spiritual life. But that's not the point. <clears throat> I, I highly suggest reading the homilies of St. Theophon. Especially if you have a very weak prayer life. Or not much of one historically. Uh, to help give some pointers about what to do in the life of prayer. Okay. Any questions on prayer? I got one. Yep. Uh, growing up, I just, as far as prayer goes, it would just be kind of like a personal thing. Like, yep. 
in my head, you know. Is that still an okay thing to do? No, you oh, can't pray pr- along pray. with the <laughs> along with reciting this. Stuff. Yes, you can. I think. Can I see that real quick? Yeah. So I, I think you see in morning prayers here may be added your private devotions okay. and intercessions using your own words or other prayers and conclude with this prayer. I don't think. Yeah, it says that in the okay. evening prayers. In the prayer book, like the official prayer book, it doesn't say that. So I'm trying to, like, you most definitely can pray with your own words. Why do we use this? Is, it's not to be vain repetition. Like a lot of people are like, oh, this is vain repetition. Vain repetition is like, is like pagan worship where like mantras or stuff. Like wh- this is not vain repetition. You can make it into like blah, blah, blah. You know, like I'm talking to Jesus, but not really. Like I'm just throwing words up. But this is to shape and form. I mean, the apostles, when they ask Christ, they say, you know, teach us to pray. And he gives them, here's a prayer. <laughs> this is how you learn how to pray. Uh, the church, I mean, if you look at Israel, they did not just, like, free-form prayer was not the normative thing. That was something that happened. But if you look, like, it's the Psalms, right? So we need form and structure to help us because otherwise we're just free-floating and kind of making stuff up. Uh, because we need to learn how to pray, what to pray for. I mean, when you're eight, your prayers are probably like, I want to do good on a test and give me a red bike, right? Yeah. That's cool. That's not. Like, uh, like, I respect that for an eight-year-old, but, like, you got to grow beyond that. Like, prayer is not about uh, give me this thing, uh, that thing. Prayer is about union with Christ. The look of the woman today, the Canaanite woman. I mean, that she was after union with Christ, even as he put boundary after boundary or hurdle after hurdle up. <clears throat> Fasting. This is probably one prayer. Everyone can be like, I get that. They even pray on television, right? Like <laughs> fasting is a whole other world for a lot of folks, unless you are coming from uh, a Pentecostal background, they might have some random fasting. Uh, even Roman Catholics have basically fallen out of the practice of, of fasting. They do they still have fish Fridays at least on the books. No, it, it's on the books, but um, it, it's rare to find somebody that actually follows that. I, I, I my my wife took up fasting. Peter Gregory's wife is is Catholic. That's part of the reason why I'm asking him. Not, uh, so the, there, what are the let me start here with just facts. What are the four major fasts of the Orthodox Church? Great Lent. So, Great Lent. That was easy. Um, the nativity. <laughs> There's the Nativity Fast. Dormition. The Dormition Fast, and then one other. The one that almost everyone forgets. There's the normal Wednesday and Friday Fast. That's t- during regular time. Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul are Apostles Fast, right? So, there's four major fasts. Great Lent is the historic big fast because the, the Great Lent was when all the catechumens were basically uh, being trained up, as it were, to be brought into the church. The Apostles' Fast happens after Pentecost and is associated before the uh, Feast of Peter and Paul, which is June 30th, if I'm remembering off the top of my head right now. I don't have to remember off the top of my head. 29th, I think. It's not on that there. Uh, 29th or 30th, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's the end of June. Uh, Dormition Fast is about two weeks or so, uh, the beginning of August. It starts August 1st and it ends with the Feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God. 
and then we have the Nativity Fest that begins about November 15th and goes to December 25th. Uh, these are the major fasts, and there, even in those fasts, there is more, Great Lent is a more um, rigorous? rigorous, I was going to say severe, and I didn't want to say severe, <laughs> rigorous fast, uh, no meat and no dairy throughout Great Lent, uh, and no fish, uh, that's why when you get to Annunciation, it's like, fish, uh, and I believe on... Um, Lazarus Saturday and Palm Sunday is also fish. But otherwise, now, before everyone gets edited forms of fasting, especially if you're brand new to orthodoxy. Um, have I talked about some of the edited forms of fasting? Uh, what I have suggested with catechumens, especially our American diets are very red meat. Like, what did I talk about for breakfast? I talked about bacon and eggs, right? Uh, and then you'll have a ham sandwich for lunch or a chicken breast or something, and then dinner you have a steak, right? Maybe that's Friday night. Uh, Orthodox fasting, uh, if you're being introduced to it, I basically suggest that uh, you either one tier would be to just cut out meat and not to cut out dairy when you're first starting out. Uh, the next would be, especially if you're in living situations where you are living with somebody who's not Orthodox and you're ha they're preparing you meals or you're having to prepare meals that are broader, uh, then you may do like breakfast and lunch. You don't do meat and dairy or just no meat and then the dinner that you do meet because you're preparing it for others. So just gradations or even during the Great Lent, you just try to do Wednesday and Friday and actually follow the fast or Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The, the monastics actually also regularly do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and not just Wednesday and Friday. Um, so there's all these amalgamations of something that we, we can talk about. I do suggest, like, you do need to try to start fasting and Great Lent is coming. So ask for some recipes. Now with Google, there's a lot, and vegan stuff is really popular. You can find a lot of stuff. And I highly suggest that you don't just eat bread because you will balloon, okay? Uh, you need to eat, like, vegetables. Uh, the ortho, uh, monks will say um, dry eating, where you're, like, just eating nuts and dried fruit and water, and you just kind of simplify what you're eating. So that's something that we all familiarly or individually can discuss. <clears throat> Does anyone have the experience of fasting? For religious purposes? What's fascinating now is intermittent fasting is really popular and cool. Like, and in many ways, uh, fasting can be treated like a diet. I don't suggest that you treat the fast like a diet or you're going to fail because you're going to lose all desire to do it because, well, that's not the point of the fast. Uh, remember, fasting, the way that we train ourselves, the way we train our desire, because that's really at the heart of everything, uh, the, for a desire for God is that we have to actually do stuff with our body, not just think things. So let me read this from um, Hopko on fasting. The purpose of fasting is to gain mastery over oneself and to conquer the passions of the flesh. It is to liberate oneself from dependence on the things of this world in order to co concentrate on the things of the kingdom of God. It is to give power to the soul so that it would not yield to temptation and sin. According to St. Seraphim, fasting is an in indispensable means of gaining the fruit of the Holy Spirit in one's life. And Jesus himself taught that some forms of evil cannot be conquered without it. Now let's stop right there. 
fasting is assumed in scripture. Right? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount assumes that you're fasting such that he says, when you fast, you don't go around looking like you're fasting. Right? So he just assumes that we're engaged in that practice. Uh, almost all historic religions engage with fasting. Uh, fasting is not uh, just a denial of the self where you're just stopping yourself from doing things. It is a way to reorient yourself to the world generally. Uh, having done fast for the years now, like the experience of fasting is something that refreshes your entire exposure to the world because you're basically stopping from mindless eating, mindless consumption, and just satiating every desire. The fathers are very clear about if you can't control your stomach, then you can't control anything lower than your stomach, if you get my drift. Uh, there, there is... Uh, the path to discipline for the fathers, and you're like, they talk about fasting all the time, because they know it's one of those basic tools of being able to say no to yourself. Uh, and not no is just like, you know, no, but like, no, I'm going to choose something better. And that is why during the fast, in our hymnody, it's very clear in our hymnody, if you're going to fast, that doesn't mean you start eating your brother and sister. Because <laughs> you start fasting and you very quickly know that uh, all those passions like anger and like disagreeableness they kind of bubble up at the beginning because especially the first three days you're kind of like going through withdrawals uh, and you like to snack on other people uh, this is in our hymnody even I mean this isn't just like me being jokey like the, the, the church has this experience there's also that means increase in prayer so if you're eating a really simple like salad for lunch that's boring you want to put like, I don't know, some spicy chicken on it and you can't, uh, or something that just rice and plain beans. And I like to put hot sauce on things cause I do like some kind of taste. Uh, and then I'm just only going to have this much cause there's also fasting. I'm just like, you could fast perfectly, perfectly, the scare quotes for the recording, right? By following the rules and you could eat like a king at the Thai place right you just eat endlessly and you're following the fast but the fast is not just about uh what you're eating it is like the quality and the quantity of what you're eating you need to eat what you and the fathers even talk about don't eat until you're full like slow down this is also like basic doctor stuff now too mm -hmm. but it's really funny like you maybe some maybe some of you listen to your doctor but like the fathers when they're talking about this they're talking about for spiritual gain this gives you time and space to be able to pray it is also something, if you're buying a whole bunch of shrimp and lobster and, you know, tofu, you're probably, your budget's not going to change that much. If you're eating rice and beans and simple vegetables and stuff, uh, or even just dry food, or even skipping some meals in order to engage with the fast, you're going to save money. And what does the church expect you to do with that money? Almsgiving. Almsgiving. To give it to people. So Lent, the fasts are times for increase in prayer, uh, an increase in giving up things as in like giving away money. Uh, man does not fast because it pleases God if his servants do not eat. For as the Lenten hymns of the church remind us, the devil fasts, right? The devil doesn't eat anything. Neither do men fast in order to afflict themselves with suffering and pain, for God has no pleasure in discomfort of his people. Neither do men fast the idea that their hunger and thirst can somehow serve as reparation for their sins. If I, if I starve myself, I'm paying off my sins. Such an understanding is never given in the scriptures or the writings of the saints, which claim that there is no reparation for man's sin but the crucifixion of Christ. Salvation is a free gift of God, which no works of man can accomplish of merit. Men fast, therefore, and must fast only to be delivered from carnal passions 
so the free gift of salvation in Christ might produce great fruit in their lives. Men fast so they might more effectively serve God who loves them and has saved them in Christ the Spirit. Fasting without effort and virtue is holy and vain. Uh, there's even like popular folk stories. Uh, I think Chekhov, uh, maybe Tolstoy, although Tolstoy is an interesting example. There, uh, and the other kind of minor Russian-Ukrainian authors have great stories basically about like these folks who are like great fasters. They're really pious and they end up like uh, murdering somebody because they're not following the fast. This just kind of showing this kind of like great, you're following the fast. You've completely lost the thread. You do not know what's going on anymore and you're doing this for the sake of like Christ. So, almsgiving. This is another thing that the church emphasizes. I'm going to read from Hopko. Uh, According to St. John Chrysostom, no one can be saved without giving alms and without caring for the poor. St. Babes the Great says that a man who has two coats or two pairs of shoes when his neighbor has none is a thief. All earthly things are the possessions of God. We're just stewards. What belongs to the Lord and those who sh- and should sh- sorry, we're stewards of what belongs to the Lord and should share the gifts of His creation with one another as much as they can. To store up earthly possessions according to Christ is the epitome of foolishness, and a rich man shall hardly be saved. Giving alms, therefore, must be a sacrificial act if it ha- if it is to have any spiritual worth. One cannot merely give merely what is left over when all his own needs are satisfied. One must take from oneself and give to others. In the spiritual tradition of the church, it is the teaching that what one saves through fasting and abstinence, for example, during the special Lenten seasons, should not be kept for other times, but should be given away to the poor. Uh, the church, this is one of those threads in scripture that the church kind of like brings up or highlights and says, look, this is all for the Old Testament. Uh, St. John Chrysostom using the Old Testament uh, in places that almsgiving uh, basically uh, helps forgive your sins in the sense that you are giving away and that you are living a Christ-like life because the world does not have its hold or hooks on you. That's what fasting does. It it allows us to be able to reevaluate our relationship with the world and what we actually need. And so almsgiving is giving uh, from us to those who need. I think the challenge of almsgiving uh, is that we live in 2024 in the modern world uh, and because of the welfare state and because of uh, this might sound funny, car travel. Mm-hmm. Like We don't actually really encounter a lot of people unless we're walking around downtown. And even then, you have to like go, you, you know what I'm talking about, to a certain area, and then you actually encounter because our police, <laughs> the city likes to herd the homeless to certain places. So I think there are ways in which we can do almsgiving that can be that you're giving towards organizations and things. But I still think there is something about being able to actually engage with and be with the poor and to not ignore them, to have something to be able to give to them when they come and ask. Uh, We have a mercy fund here at St. Anne's, if that's a place that you want to tithe to, uh, an almsgiving uh, that we give to, you know, the Crisis Pregnancy Center, to ADVAC, which is the one that helps with folks with bills that can't be paid, uh, etc. And also parishioners if they, they run into trouble. So, uh, hitting these kind of high spiritual points uh, of prayer, fasting, almsgiving, but all of this is uh, encouraged and fed by our liturgical life. Uh, the Orthodox Church is very strong on the services of the church. You'll especially feel this in Lent, where we start to double up on our services. Um, well, there is um, 
a great importance placed on attending the services because they are, as Rita Gregory is saying, they're the place that we get fed. It's the place where the way that the tradition talks about it, and then I'll end or take some questions and we need to end. Uh, we kind of think about worship as where we show up and kind of it comes from us towards God. But the, the way that the fathers talk about it is the divine services are like uh, an imprint, that they imprint upon us uh, things that and work on us, just like in relationships. Like you can have that rational thread where you're talking to somebody, but it's very different to put your arm around somebody, right? There's something different about actually being in the presence of somebody instead of just like, we all know this, texts are like the worst thing to actually communicate something of like finesse, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> because if the other person is upset, it is very easy to make them more upset because you say something stupid or K, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what does that mean? Just mean okay. You understand what I'm saying? So there is something about being in the presence of God and having him imprint and work upon you. Uh, that is for us is in the divine services. Okay. Any questions? Yes. Can I make one small observation about fasting that I found helpful personally? Um, so I've, I've lived in my head a lot, as you were saying, and I had a lot of, uh, like, how exactly does you know fasting work? Let me write or read this essay on exactly how it works. And somebody at church here, I don't recall who it was, but they actually said to me, he said, you pray different when you fast. And that actually really struck me. And I was like, well, yeah, you do. And all of the exactly how and why and everything sort of doesn't matter, really, right? Because it just sort of works. So just going to kind of leave that with you. If, if not all of it, like the exact mechanism makes sense, that's okay, because it still sort of doesn't to me either. <laughs> but, it's, but you pray different when you fast, and that's good enough. There's a lightness that you experience in fasting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of this is just biological, right? But that's how the fathers know the wisdom of, like, this is how your body works, and this is how we're going to make it to be like a mean, green praying machine. <laughs> right? Like this is the way that it's going to happen. <laughs> we would do all, we we discipline our bodies in all sorts of ways for all sorts of things. If you're going to run a marathon, you're going to prepare it, right? Like, why would God? I mean, this is the language that Paul uses. Yes. So okay, I'm a little confused because you said that that scripturally. There's only certain evils that we can overcome through fasting, but then at the same time, you said that fasting is not a remission of sins, but are evil and sins not connected? Like, uh, do you see what I'm saying? Yep. So, let me think the fastest way that I can. <clears throat> fasting helps uh, tune our souls, but it is not that we are paying off sins because we need to tune our souls. It is allowing us to tame our passions and our addictions but it is not like uh, paying those sins off to use that kind of language. Then almsgiving does. Almsgiving has a way in the same way of attenuating ourselves and allowing ourselves uh, to free ourselves up to be present to God. But so that's why it's like done These in are, unison it, together. Yes. Yeah, okay. And it also kind of logically fits together, right. right? You're fasting, therefore you have more money to... There's not going to be a concept like a purgatory, though, like you do... You pay this much alms and you get out of these many sins. It's not going to be correct. We do not have the merit system yeah. of uh, do ten Hail Marys and that will get rid of thirty four percent of your right. your sins. So I hate to say it like that, but that is, if you read a late Western 
stuff that is why we had the Protestant Reformation is because of things like that. The treasure merits of the Virgin. Uh, we do these things, and therefore we do a, a you know a pilgrimage over there, and we did to ten Hail Marys, and we do it on our knees. She's going to let five of our cousins out of purgatory. I wish that wasn't the case. That's just that is just what it that's, was. That's what the Roman Catholics yeah. do. Mm, they don't like to say to talk about that now, unless you're like really traditional. Yeah. yeah, they they don't they don't raise it much anymore, but it is still in the books. It's still in the books. Can I, you can notice I, a trend here? It's still in the books, but they don't do it. Can I make one observation? Yes, and then we're, we're going to pray, and then I'm sure the teenagers um, want it to be free. Just <laughs> just a point here. If it's your first time fasting, get some good advice from your spiritual father about how to do it, because. Um, you can talk to me, talk to Adam, and, and all of us have been doing this for a while. We have made some of the worst mistakes <laughs> along the line. Yeah. Like, like I, I have made myself at the same time a jerk and a Pharisee over my fasting. <laughs> and and uh, you, you don't want to do that. And, and on the other but hand... But you didn't eat a cheeseburger. You did not do that, no, right? No, I didn't. I didn't do the cheeseburger. <laughs> but but the, the thing is... you. you, you you might fail it totally, then you feel awful about it, or you might be totally successful in it, and then you're so proud of yourself over that. Guess what? You'd have been better off having the cheeseburger. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, talk to Father Daniel, get some guidance on it. Some of this is just, you're developing wisdom on how to do this and discernment. Like, I'm not going to be there when you're like on the road and you're three weeks into Lent and you can't find a Taco Bell. And it's just Wendy's. Fries? Like, if you need to have a cup of chili, or you need to have a double bacon cheeseburger, you don't need to email me to ask for my blessing. Just do it. Right? Like, I, I'm not saying that, like, there's, there's always a tension. This is in general, right? Like, there is not a free-for-all, and it's not like, you know, God is out to smite you like he's Zeus or something, right? Like, this is a tool to help you. And if you're in a situation, you can get really lax and just stop fasting. You're just missing out on a tool that you really need in order to grow in the spiritual life. So does that make, like, this is not, like, it can very easily, you can feel like orthodoxy is just like redoing a pharisaical program. That's not the point. We're emphasizing spiritual practices that you need to practice and we assume and do together corporately and have some guidance with with that, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, now let us tell thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. The light should enlighten the Gentiles, the glory of thy people of Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have one last story. Just so you, there is a great fool for Christ. I think it was Basil the Great or uh, Basil the Fool, who is sitting on uh, the front steps of the church in the Kremlin, uh, the Dormition Church. And uh, the emperor, the czar comes, I think it, I think it was Ivan the Terrible, uh, and he's sitting in the middle of Great Lane, it might have even been Holy Week, and he's, he's roasting sausages on the front porch of the church. And the czar comes up and he's just like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm eating, you know, and he's just like, what? And he's like, well, it's about as good as all the people that you're killing. Like, he's making a point of just like, you have missed the point, and so I'm going to break the fast in order to show you, like, you're devouring your own people, right? So I'm going to eat sausage. So yeah. the, there, you see the freedom of the saints to be able to, like, show, like, what's the important thing. This isn't me just, like, saying have a free-for-all. This is just the tradition of the church, okay? Right. All right. Sorry, well. <laughs> what about... Um